0: Friends, let's pray together. Almighty Father, we ask that you would help us. We need your help to bring us to a desire of a relationship with you. We need your help for understanding. We need your help. So share with us your Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated My name is Aaron. I'm one of the priests here at IAC. Uh, Some of you this morning were reveling in an extra hour of sleep. Some of you have small children or dogs. I'm glad you're here. What does it mean to be the people of God? This is what we've been talking about as we've walked through the book of Ephesians, what does it mean to be the people of God? Is it your denomination, the the type of church that you go to? Is that what it means? Is it your church attendance? Y'all, for a little while, I was at a church that gave out attendance pens like a little pen for every month that you didn't miss a Sunday and every year that you didn't miss a Sunday and there were some of the saints of the church that would drape them on long scarves and some of the men would wear them on the lapels of their suits. Is that what it means to be the people of God? Is it, I hear you. Is it the number of verses that you have memorized? Nope. Thank you. In the first service, someone said yes, and I was feeling ashamed. <laughs> is it how quick you are to confession? Is it the feeding of the hungry, the clothing of the naked? Is it the way you love those who are ill? I want to say, actually, that for all of those things, there is a sense that we could say, yes, that's kind of what it means, we, we do need the word of God to live in our hearts and our minds. We do need to be present to the gathered worship of God. Like we need these things, but none of those things are the definition for what it means to be the people of God. All of those things are potential outcomes. They're potential signs that we are part of the kingdom of God. They're not the definition. They're just a mere expression. We hear in Ephesians 5, Paul write, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The people of God are awake. The people of God are not dead. The people of God receive Christ's life and light. What does it mean to be the people of God? It means to be awake, alive, and in light. This is that definition. This is what it means. And if we're following along with Paul, we're, we're, we're getting into chapter five at this point, but we can remember that there was stuff before that that we've been talking about on Sunday mornings together. And in verse one, it says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. You hear one of the therefores, that Pastor Eric mentioned last week. So we have to remember what's been said in the first four chapters if we're gonna arrive here with integrity at chapter five. We have to remember that what God has been speaking to us through Paul is for us to understand that he desires a holy unity among a people that are marked by difference. That he is bringing together different people, Jew and Gentile, different different nationalities, different languages. He has this whole host of people in Ephesus from many different nations and ethnic backgrounds and God is speaking to Paul and to us saying he desires us to be one people, to be in unity, for walls to come down. Paul is writing that what defines this new people, this new ethnos, what defines us is to be first a people of God. And he's stating that in such a way that we must return or reclaim or restore our identity as dearly loved children. Follow God's example, as dearly loved children children. We must remember, we must be reminded that we are a dearly loved child of God. I can remember what it was like to have my parents wake me up in the morning. Can you? It it, it happened sometime after my like really young childhood because in your young childhood some of you with little kids you know that they're just going to wake up right you know that it's 5 45 and here comes your toddler right they don't need you to wake them up and then later on in like upper high school or maybe even the latter stages of middle school uh, they've got an alarm clock and so they're waking themselves up but there's this window of time that a child needs a parent, needs someone to wake them up. And in my, in my household, that happened in, in two very different ways. My mom, using perhaps the most effective tactic ever known for an upper elementary boy would burst through the door with no warning, shout singing, rise and shine and give God the, you guys know this song, right? And it was louder than that, rise and shine, there's clapping. Oh, she did that in love and she did that in faith and I have not yet recovered. We must remember that we are dearly loved children that are being brought to wakefulness so that we can remember what it says in chapter 5, verse 2, that we must walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So I think one of the things that Paul is teaching us here is that we have to become dearly loved Loved children. We have to remember that that is our identity because we can only from that place of identity recognize that God is inviting us into His love not based on our merits, not based on something we could rightly stake a claim on, not based on our goodness, but based on something that would have been a sacrifice to Him. It's only as children and reflecting on our childhood can we remember and realize that there were people who loved us before we could love them back. That there were people who loved us in ways that were sacrificial and costly and for our good. And if we're going to remember that and have that kind of relationship with a good father... With the whole of God, we have to remember that he is loving us. He's bringing us into wakefulness in a way that was costly to him, but good to us. That requires us to remember that we are dearly loved children. My my dad would wake us up differently Sometimes it would be early in the morning because he was leaving for an assignment that would take him away for a while, and sometimes it would be very late at night because he was coming home, and it was gentle and soft. And wakefulness would would not come with like an eye-popping realization like my mom's. Wakefulness would come not from a sound, but from a scent, from a smell. It's one of my most treasured memories, one of my most treasured things of my life is that my dad would come in both quiet but unwhispered, and he would say, I love you. I'm glad you're awake. And over me would waft his coffee breath. It is so I mean, like, it's dear to me, not your coffee breath, by the way. right? His. His. Because he would bring me, and he'd wake me up. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you do you remember your awakening do you remember the first time that you were called into life in Jesus do you know the, your story of receiving life and light from Jesus do you recall that first moment of your resurrection because that's what that is that's what it means is that you are right now living in a resurrected reality. I'm not looking for a single date on the calendar. I'm not looking for some like basic pat t- testimony. I'm asking what were the sounds? How fast was your heart beating? What was the smell in your nostrils? Do you remember Your awakening. And if you remember, does anyone else know that story with you? Does anyone else know how you have been called out of death into life, out of darkness into light? Does anyone else know that? If you're a parent, have you told your kids? that story? If you're a grandparent, do your grandchildren know? If you're a young person, does someone else in your family or your friend group know that story of what it was like for you to go from sleep to awake, from death to life, from darkness to light? It's important because, as Paul writes in verse 8, you were once in darkness. If we are going to live into the reality of being a people of God, if we're going to accept both the promise and the action of God to be His people, to be united with those who are different than us, to be made whole, out of, a, out of a community marked by a shared story of awakening, we must recognize how we move from darkness to light. We must deal with the fact that there have been in our own personal histories times that we have lived outside of the love of God if we're going to be united with those who are different than us, if we're going to be united with those that we have harmed, if we're going to be united with those that we have sinned against or denied, we must come to terms with our own darkness. Your story of awakening is incomplete without the narrative shift from dark to light, from, la- from death to life. And I'm fairly convinced that this is one of the reasons that so many young people don't know this story of their parents and grandparents. Because for us to share the story of how Jesus saved us, we have to share the story about how we lived first as unsaved, how we lived first outside of his love and light. And that's a hard thing to tell a child. But we need to. We need that for our own selves and for them. We need that because Paul continues and says, now you are light in the Lord. Now you have a light in you that is from another source. You are no longer the house of sin, the repository for depravity or the person of evil. That is no longer who you are or your identity. Now, we are going to continue to face sin, We will need to become quick with confession and forgiveness and repentance. And we can defy the love of God and return to darkness. But can we remember that first moment of dark to light? Can we remember how that was staggeringly blinding like the first dawn? And how that calls us back to live increasingly in the light of God How it's breaking forth with inexorable power over our lives all our lives long, forever. Do we know the first moment of awakening so that as we continue to struggle with worldly desires and with sin, we can remember and know that we're invited into life and light? Because now, that's who we are, the light light in the Lord. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Can you say that with me? Say it with me. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And if we hear that, if we begin hearing that, not only as an individual, but as a people, not only as a person, but as a body. We have to say, okay, then what happens next? If we're gonna step into being awake and alive and in light, Paul writes in verse 15, be very careful then how you live. He's listed some of those things that we know we need to stand against, that we know we need to reject. Those things of sin, those things of death, those things of depravity. He's listed some of those out there. But then he says, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And I love this. I love this because what Paul is doing, what God is doing in the scriptures is inviting us not into behavior modification, but into character transformation, He's inviting us to take on who he is in increasing measure that we might be in his light. How will we live as people of God if we are awake, if we're being brought into unity with a people that is usually marked by difference but now has a shared common story? We're called to be wise one of the clearest things that scripture invites us to pray with confidence, several different places, but at least in James 5, it says that when we ask for wisdom, God gives it generously. To ask for wisdom. And so now we have this story being told that to be a people of God is to be awake and alive and in light and to be receiving wisdom. Because in verse 16, Paul writes, so that we can make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And now, as people of God receiving life and light and wisdom, you are called to go for it. You are called to do a full send, to not live with hesitation and holding back and half measure. You are called to go for it, to take every opportunity. And the opportunities that we're talking about here are not the fiscal opportunities of wealth building. They're not the opportunities for our own gain. They're the opportunities to join the expansive and ever-expanding kingdom of God. That's the opportunities we're called to attend to and to step into So that the least and the lost would know that they are the loved. For the hungry and the thirsty to feast with new friends and not strangers. For the prisoners to be freed from chains. Not only the chains that would cause them to have an impulse to create harm, but also the chains of trauma that come from incarceration. For us to greet people with different backgrounds, languages, and skin colors as our truest siblings. Make the most of every opportunity to join what God and His Holy Spirit are about, because the days are evil. We're given this sense and this image of urgent extravagance, because that's what it is. It's an urgent extravagance. You can, you can imagine a farmer in his truck with a bag of seed and the window rolled down, and he's just throwing it, and he's just throwing it, and he's just throwing it. Urgent extravagance. I'm called to do that because the days are evil. Because through the passing of time, because through the passing of time, if we aren't. Acting into this people of God of being awake and alive and in light and with wisdom and taking every opportunity. Friends, can I just say that there are going to be many sons and daughters who do not return to their good father? The days are evil. Paul continues saying, Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Here's another one of our therefores from last week. I've been working in the church now for well over two decades. And one of the most common questions I get or concerns or prayer requests that I receive, both from young people and from adults, is the, what is God's plan for my life question? What should I do next? I don't know what God would desire for me here. What is God's will and plan for my life? Anybody else have ever struggled with that? Good news. I know what it is. I know the whole plan. I know all of it. Are you ready? The whole plan of God, his whole will, is that you would be awake that you would be alive in the life, in the light of a Jesus. That's the whole plan. That's it. You can do that in any career, you can do that in any relationship, and you can do that in any decision to be awake, to be alive, and to be in light. This is God's will for you. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Can we do this again? Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite you to do something that's maybe a little bit different for us here at IAC. I want you to lean close to a neighbor in your pew. I want you to offer these words to them as invitation and then to receive these words of invitation from them. So I'm going to lead you in this. So lean close to someone and say to them, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And now be patient and allow them to speak it to you. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We need this to become our lived reality. We need this to be something that is not just staying in the individual frame as being a person of God, but for us to be a people of God, Knowing that this is the story that defines who we are. That Christ has brought us into being awake and into life and into light. For us together to be able to say, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Awaken us. Awaken us through loud singing or through closeness and quiet. Awaken us. Bring us from death to life. Share with us the light of Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit let it be so.